Hey, everybody, real quick before we get started, I want to tell you about the Build Something Club. If you want ad-free extended episodes of this podcast in the form of a podcast called Build Something More, as well as access to a community, live streams, bonus episodes, and deals, check out buildsomething.club and sign up for just $5 a month. You get a bunch of great content and you get to support the show directly. Today on Build Something More, Travis and I talk about the best strategy for making investments as a solo business owner. I am always interested in this, saving for retirement and things like that. And so Travis offers a lot of really great advice there. So again, that is buildsomething.club. You can sign up for $5 a month or $50 a year, get two months free. And every member gets an exclusive customized poker chip that I'm calling a member chip in the mail. Again, that is buildsomething.club. Head over today and join the club. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 222 of How I Build It. Uh, (laughs) Try that again. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 222 of How I Built It, the podcast that offers actionable tech tips for small business owners. I hope you're doing well today. Our sponsors are Text Expander, Restrict Content Pro, and the Events Calendar. You'll hear about them more later in the show. But right now, I want to get to our guest. His name is Travis Hornsby. He is the CEO and founder of Student Loan Planner. And we are going to be talking about... Uh, debt and financial freedom and starting a business, even if you do have student loans and things like that. I'm really excited because I think that uh, smart financial moves are super important. It's been a theme of this show since the pandemic started, but let's bring in our guest, Travis. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Excited to hopefully add some value to people. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. I, I Like I said, I think this is so important because I, I don't think... Uh, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. I don't want to sound like I'm smarter than everybody. Um, but I have taken, uh, my wife and I have taken uh, strong steps to financial freedom. Like we, you know, we read uh, like uh, uh, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover and uh, like and that. I don't want to editorialize on people's personalities, but he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem great lately based on his press. But his book was very helpful to us in the debt snowball um, specifically. But in talking to other people, it seems like a lot of people don't have a good handle on their financial situation. I hear people say things like, oh, I'm just going to blow my tax refund or my COVID stimulus on something uh, because it's not enough to make a big dent in any of my debt. And that just like I die a little bit inside. Um, and so we'll hopefully we'll get into all that. But but first, uh, I do w- uh, want you to let people know kind of who you are and what you do. I mean, sure. So. I uh, thought I was going to be a PhD economics professor. That was my original dream. Like everybody has different dreams of what they want to be when they grow up, right? I had like umpteen dreams until I finally (laughs) settled on that when I was in college, right? And then I took this really hard math class uh, to that I needed to do to get into like a PhD program. And I was so sad because it was like football season, basketball season. Like I wasn't really going to these games. I was just studying all the time. And I just didn't feel like that was what I was meant to do, you know? So if you ever, as a listener, have like felt like you're supposed to go down a certain path and then there's an obstacle that gets thrown up, sometimes you're supposed to go through it. But in my case, I pivoted away from it, did something totally different. So I liked applied math. And so I ended up becoming a bond trader. So, you know, went out three years, did that, saw some crazy stuff. I was there for the Detroit bankruptcy, the Puerto Rico problems, uh, the taper tantrum, if anybody remembers that. Like all these kind of weird, you know, things in the market. And I traded $10 billion of bonds, which wow. is nuts to say that as a 20-something-year-old that I had traded $10 billion <clears throat> of bonds. That's kind of nuts, right? Yeah, wow. And, and you know, all the while, I was kind of like, what am I doing all this for? Like, what's the point? And I kind of had a little bit of a panic attack about like the long term of working in a corporate environment. And, you know, and this was what I thought was my dream job that I was going to be at for 20, 30 years. And then I just kind of freaked out a little bit because I was like, well, shoot, like I'm kind of clock watching, right? Like I'm kind of looking at the clock and say, oh gosh, thank goodness it's 410. 
you know, only 20 more minutes and then I can sort of start my wind down mentally for the day. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, this is not good. Like, I need to make a change. Like, this is really bad. And, and luckily for me, I had the benefit of one of the best like bull market run-ups that I ever could have hoped for. It was like 2012 to 2015. And so I remember one year I saved more than 100% of my salary. Wow. And you might say, well, how the heck did you do that? Well, uh, it was pretty straightforward. The markets went up 35% <laughs> and I was living on, you know, 35 or whatever. And I had saved and invested that amount. And so that's that's how that happened, right? So like I had these huge tailwinds in my back that helped me get there. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to quit and I'm going to retire early and travel the world. And so that's what I did at 25. And then I did that for about a year, year and a half. Along the while, I started dating someone who had a lot of student loan debt who became my wife. And I moved back. She got a job in the middle of the Midwest. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. And I moved there. We got married. We have a little baby daughter now. And I realized like this, like her parents kind of like sort of put down an ultimatum. So she's Asian American, you know? So it's kind of mm-hmm. like the greatest shame is like to them was like me not having a job like that. I think they, were, <laughs> they were embarrassed by it. I was like, I, but I have like a lot of assets. Like I don't need to have a job right now. And they're like, yeah, but that's just, you know, you can't marry our daughter. At least you can't have her blessing. Wow. They're like, you know, you can do whatever you want, but you know, <laughs> but you don't have our blessing unless you get a job. So I was like, oh shoot, man, this like student loan thing I've been doing as a hobby, it's got to succeed. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so then I just went off and like, I was starting to give, making plans for people with the bond trader skills. Like I built an Excel program that modeled the complex options people have for getting student loan forgiveness and repayment. And then that grew a lot because the need was so great. And then I hired other people to help me with it. We got a lot of attention on some of these free tools we had. And then the student loan planner became a seven-figure business over time with staying laser-focused on one specific problem. So that's maybe a little bit more than I was supposed to say in the first question, but I wanted to, the listener to kind of get a, a, a sort of a, a taste of how it wasn't like a overnight thing where I just like sure, happened. Yeah. It was this weird journey that was kind of unpredictable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in that intro, you you raised some uh, some really good points. Um, uh, for example, I mean, you mentioned, right, uh, that you had some uh, some huge tailwinds, right? So you were invest, you, you were uh, a, a bond trader. So of course you were investing your own money in the stock market and things like that, I, I assume, right? That's right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't putting it in, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't putting it in 2%, 3% bonds. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and so I think that's something else that uh, a lot of people don't think about. Maybe we can expand on this and, and build something more. But um, when I, my first like, big person job, I guess, right? I got a job. I was self-employed out of college. Um, and then I got a job at my alma mater when uh, this was before, oh, no, when I needed health insurance, essentially, right? Um, and the the HR person was surprised to see me like asking questions about our 403B and me making the maximum contribution and things like that. She's like, it's really good that you're here because a lot of people your age, I was 26, I guess, 24, 25, 26. Um, a lot of people your age don't even think about this. And I'm like, that's insane. You're like giving me free money uh, for my future or whatever. So, um, you know, again, maybe we can talk about this and build something more, but how important is is having assets like that? And if someone is starting from nothing, like what, especially self-employed people, right? Uh, what should they do? I, I would say the number one advice that I would have is take a risk and bet on yourself. So that's the the first thing that I would say. Now, you know, a lot of times people are afraid of what's going to happen with self-employment. Mm-hmm. So you need to have some sort of niche or specialty. If you're just a freelance graphic designer, that tells me absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. right? If you're a freelance graphic designer specializing in healthcare physicians' offices and specifically in oncologists or something like that, you can maybe charge triple what somebody who's a generic freelance graphic designer might, maybe even 10 times as much, right? So I would say like first bet on yourself, but have a focus, like figure out what your thing is that you're going to be focused on that you can solve a problem for people for. And like, how do you like kind of niche it down to make it like specialized Mm -hmm. in terms of assets, like Charlie Munger, but Buffett's like right-hand man, like recently said that you need to hustle like crazy to get your first hundred K. And then after you get to that level of assets, like everything else is way easier after that. You know, I would probably agree with that. 
I think that probably anybody that's got 100K in assets can probably quit their job and go take a huge risk for a while, right? Especially if your burn rate's low. Like that's what really helped me starting my business is I only spent when I was single, like about 18,000 a year. Like that's, mm. that's very cheap. And why did I do that? I did some things that I'm, you know, probably a little ashamed of today. Like I rented out like a semi-finished basement for like $300 a month that included yeah. all utilities, right? Wow. Like I drove a beat up car and then I sold that car to uh, like, a, a, you know, somebody like just randomly just to go travel like, like it was no big deal when people are like kind of that freaks them out, right? Selling your own car or something. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I did all these things to specifically to save money and I was super frugal. Now, what's interesting though is I had a really good savings rate, but my asset growth was way, way, way slower than it is now. And kind of what I learned is that it's not just about savings rate. You need to think savings rate and earning potential and earning power, right? So it's kind of like you're going to get three, four, five percent type raises every year working for corporate America. Your bonus is going to be within X amount of dollars. And then you might get promoted and it might jump up faster than that, right? But ultimately, like you have very fixed rewards being in a corporate environment. It's kind of like being in a, like you're, you're a bond, basically, working mm -hmm. at a corporation for most people. And, you know, why not turn yourself into an equity, particularly if you have something to fall back on? So what I mean by that is like a spouse, like that's in a different industry, uh, you know, somebody who is more of a risk, like averse person. Like, so for example, I'm married to a physician. She's really risk averse. She yeah. hates taking risk. Like we can pretty much guarantee that her money is safe and, and that's, that's going to happen to it. So that means that I have the ability to go take out like a lot more risk with my personal business. And, you know, why wouldn't I do that? Like, let's see what happens, right? So I guess that's that's not super specific for people, but I just want them to realize like a lot of times people are too concerned with the downsides of what might happen. And they're not thinking at all about the upside potential. And that's really what you want to think about is are you a stock or are you a bond? This episode is brought to you by Restrict Content Pro. If you need a fast, easy way to set up a membership site for yourself or your clients, look no further than the Restrict Content Pro WordPress plugin. Easily create premium content for members using your favorite payment gateway, manage members, send member-only emails, and more. You can create any number of subscription packages, including free levels and free trials. But that's not all. Their extensive add-ons library allows you to do even more, like drip out content, connect with any number of CRMs and newsletter tools, including ConvertKit and MailChimp, and integrate with other WordPress plugins like BBPress. Since the Build Something Club rolled out earlier this year, you can bet it's using Restrict Content Pro, and I have used all of the things mentioned here in this ad read. I have created free levels. I've created coupons. Uh, I use ConvertKit and I'm using it with BB Press for the forums. I'm a big fan of the team and I know they do fantastic work. The plugin has worked extremely well for me and I was able to get memberships up and running very quickly. Right now, they are offering a rare discount for How I Built It listeners only. 20% off your purchase when you use RCP How I Built It at checkout. That's RCP How I Built It, all one word. If you want to learn more about Restrict Content Pro and start making money with your own membership site, head on over to howibuilt.it slash RCP. That's howibuilt.it slash RCP. Thanks to Restrict Content Pro for supporting the show. And now let's get back to it. I think that's an oft not talked about uh, point of going self-employed, right? If you're going to go self-employed, I tell people they need to have like six months worth of their salary and savings, right? Um, because if you have no runway, you're going to panic uh, and you're probably going to fail. I had six months runway. I had support. I had a network. And my wife was very supportive of me going self-employed, even though we just had a, a, a we had a three month baby girl. Uh, and she was like, yeah, you like do what makes you happy as, as long as you believe that you can support the family like this. And I, I believed I could. And here we are four years later. So, um, you know, I think, I think saving and, and more importantly, maybe doing something with that savings. Again, we'll talk more about that and build something more because I think there's a lot here, but right now I do want to talk about kind of, uh, the, 
um, the big question here, right? Because uh, you moved on to start a seven-figure business, uh, getting an ultimatum from your uh, your in-laws. That's very scary. Um, luckily, my my in-laws are uh, like very American small business owner, do your thing, and and they believed in me too, which was important. Um, but uh, there are there are people with certain levels of debt, right? Student loan debt. Maybe they have a mortgage or they're paying off a house or credit card debt. Um, to those people who want to start a business, but they have debt, where where should they start? What what should they do? Yeah, I mean, like it first comes down to tracking what you spend. So if you don't know what you spend, it's kind of like you have a, a, a blood uh, burst in your body, right? Or you're mm-hmm. bleeding out and you don't know where it is. So what does the surgeon do? Like the surgeon cuts you up and frantically searches for where you're bleeding from <laughs> to stop the bleeding. So so that's kind of the first step. Now you might say, well, I don't have very much to cut. That's okay. Like our research suggests that if you find just what you're spending where, just the simple awareness of that fact is going to reduce your spending without any effort because you're just aware of where your money's going. And then awareness just creates, it's kind of like if you're aware that a piece of chocolate cake is 2,000 calories, you're probably going to be a little more cautious, right? Mm -hmm. Like just naturally, right? So you don't have to like mentally think about it as much. So the thing is, is first figure out your short-term credit card debt. Try to get that polished off. Obviously, it's pretty dangerous to go off and leave a secure job if you've got credit card debt because things are going to be unstable for the first several months, most likely. So I'd say first polish off your credit card debt. Then when it comes to your mortgage and your student loans, your student loans, if they're federal, are never worse than an income tax. So this is something that we kind of Sort of trade. I don't. I don't want to say we trademarked it, but I think we did probably introduce this concept that income-based repayment is simply an income tax. It's ten percent of your discretionary income, and if you are going for forgiveness over, you know, twenty or twenty-five years, then you might have to consider paying taxes on the forgiven balance. Now, Congress just seems like they're passing a bill as we speak that eliminates taxes on forgiven student loans. It only does that through the mid twenty twenties. So you still have to kind of plan on owing it until they make it permanent. But I think that's an indication of where things are going. So if you're an entrepreneur, you simply have a tax. If you make less money the year you start your business, you will pay a lot less on your student loans. And you can even sign up for programs that give you subsidies on the interest. So in terms of the student loan debt, you know, unless your debt is like super high interest private debt, it should not bother you. You should not be afraid of starting a business with even like several hundred thousand of student loan debt. It's actually very manageable because of these federal programs. You asked about a mortgage. You know, I would just say all of your fixed monthly expenses, you just need six months in the bank of those fixed monthly expenses, right? Six months salary is even more conservative because your salary is more than your monthly expenses, most likely, right? So I would say that's good advice. I think that if you just have six months of, you know, expenses in the bank, you're good to go take, and no credit card debt, you're really good to take a risk really regardless of your debt level. And particularly, I want people to be aware of what's in this latest stimulus because it's a really big deal. So you kind of, we were joking around like before we pressed record about like how, you know, you don't necessarily have to have that stimulus, but it's cool thing to get, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are probably falling in that same boat, Joe. And, you know, people do not read financial news for fun. Like you're kind of like, you're kind of like a nerd if you do, right? Like probably, (laughs) probably a lot of your listeners are nerds, right? Um, You know, but, but like the average family of four is getting five figures in cash from the stimulus. Like that's insanely a lot of money. Like basically you're going to get like this $3,600 child tax credit for kids under six. And it's like 3000 for kids six to 17, I think. And you're getting $1,400 stimulus checks, probably multiples. Uh, like I think it's about a family of four gets around like 5,000 or $6,000. Yeah, 5,600 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So 5,600 plus the child tax credits of about like 7,200, I think for, for, uh, you know, with the family with two young kids. And so 5,600 plus 7,200, uh, that's $12,800. If, if I did that math, right. I mean, so $12,800, that's over a thousand dollars a month that you're going to start getting Now you're going to get the stimulus check in April. That's or, or or March, depending on your bank, right? So that's going to be this huge influx of cash. And then the child tax credit comes out from July to December in like monthly payments for like half of it. And then the other half of it comes as, as a lump sum for your taxes when you file your 2021 taxes in April 2022, you know? So you're going to get like a fire hose of cash. Like the average middle-class person is literally getting a fire hose of cash thanks to this stimulus, you know, for good or for ill, there might be unattended consequences from it, right? 
but that is coming towards you. And so if you already have, you know, quite a lot of savings in the bank, a lot of people worry about health insurance, right? Like Joe, were you worried about health insurance at any point during your journey? Uh, yeah, before I got married, I definitely was. Yeah. But, so, yeah. I mean, so a lot of people don't know this, but if your income is around like 100 to 150% of the poverty line, if you carefully manage your income for your family size, then you can get qualify for a silver plan and pay almost nothing on your monthly premium. And you get a deductible as low as $500 a month from what's called cost-sharing plans, cost-sharing assistance with a silver plan, which basically means your health insurance would almost be virtually free. So it's kind of like if you wanted to do a job, start a business, and you are sitting on, you know, no credit card debt and a few months of expenses in the bank, you know, you could set yourself up for enrolling in the ACA and getting like better health insurance than you probably have already already right now because you've only earned that income for like part of the year. And then you could kind of rely on this, you know, this child tax credit and the stimulus money to sort of carry you through to not have to eat in your into your savings, at least until early 2022. And then what do we know about inflation? If there is bad inflation from this stimulus bill and from everybody going back to wanting to go to Disney World again, <laughs> then, you know, they're probably, you know, people that are employed are probably going to get hurt worse because their incomes are probably not going to be adjusted upwards for inflation really nearly as fast as people that are new hires that are, you know, people that companies are having to pay market rates for people they're acquiring new to their business. So you also kind of have probably the likelihood that if it doesn't work out, your thing you're looking to do, that you can go back to, you know, a company or a different company, probably at a much higher salary than you might've had if you'd stayed there and stayed put. Or your business works out really successful and it takes off and you make a lot more money than you did when you were working. So that's kind of what ended up happening for me. You know, my business makes multiples of at least, and it could be very temporary. My business could go away tomorrow if they canceled all student loan debt, it yeah. would. And, you know, but then I have other assets, right? I have the assets that I've saved. I have the community that I built up that maybe we pivot to do something else. So I just want to encourage people that like, yeah, like, you know, you have all these beliefs that could be limiting beliefs, but like maybe this should be the biggest opportunity of your life. Like when are they going to pay five figures to the average American family in a stimulus bill without raising your taxes? I mean, probably never again because it's just a, a very kind of one-time kind of thing, I think. So uh, take risks. Yeah. Wow. There's so much to unpack there. And I understand a lot of what you're saying and I did not understand some of that. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of really good info here. First of all, I've been following the latest stimulus. So I knew, I knew the income lines and the, the fade out line. And so I know how much we're getting from that. I read about the tax credit, but that was, uh, that didn't feel as real to me. So you just kind of spelled, spelled it out to me a little bit better that we're actually, we have two kids, four and eight months. Uh, and that tax credit is is even more than I thought we were going to get. I mean, I feel like, I, I, I don't, I feel like I'm speaking from like a place of, of privilege here, but like I give way too much to the government in uh, quarterly taxes. I'm setting up a payroll uh, this year to prevent that. Um, uh, but I got, we got a big um, refund because of that. And because our son was born halfway through last year. Um, and, and then there's this and, and what you're saying basically is, do something smart with that huge amount of money, right? Like the government is about to give families a for um, more money than like some people make in a year, right? Um, yeah. And, and so be smart with it, right? Don't just like put it away for uh, some big dumb purchase, but uh, put it in savings and, and, and take a risk and bet on yourself, like you said. Well, it's like, what is your best asset? If you're young, you said your audience is in your mid-20s to early 40s mostly. Mm -hmm. You know, your best asset is your human capital. That means like, what is your earning potential? What kind of things could you do? Now, a company is only paying you your salary because you're producing more money for them than that salary. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're going into a big loss and they can't afford to do it. Obviously, if you're, you know, in a, in a nonprofit sector or government sector, that might not necessarily be the case. Uh, directly, but like in general, still like you have to be producing at least your economic value that you're getting paid, regardless of what job you're in. So, and not everybody wants to do their own thing. I get that, mm -hmm. right? Like that's totally fine. Like the majority of people are not going to want to do their own thing, and that's totally cool. Like I would just say, like then try to try to figure out what risk you can take within your career to get the life that you want. 
So just as an example of this, like how much leverage do you have? Do you need to work full-time hours, right? One of the benefits of like the progress we made in society is now that now men and women can say, hey, I want to work part-time. You know, and if they're asked for why, like you can say, well, I've got kids and I want to spend more time with them. And now that's like, if you were a man like 20 years ago, like maybe they'd laugh yeah. you out of the room, right? And they would say, heck no, right? And they, and you know, who knows, like a man or a woman could get laughed out of the room at this point because maybe companies don't offer that option. Right. But if you have financial flexibility, if you have those six months of savings or your savings and your thing is like, well, I don't really want to go start my own business. Like that part's not really jiving with me. Well, you could still like optimize your life. And if you have a high savings rate, then why not get three days a week? And why not pay like a little more for health insurance, you know, and then have a little bit more time to do what you want? Um, you know, I think that one of the, this, this guy I admire that I worked at the company with, he had his job. It was basically this thing where he could take off a couple days vacation at a moment's notice because he was a recreational fisherman and he loved to follow like certain kinds of schools of fish. And you, it's unpredictable. You have to kind of listen to the weather reports and know like what day it is. And like, I don't know, he read all his, you know, the blogs, the magazines of what, when, when they were biting and then he could just take that time off, right? So happiness looks different from for every person. And I just think that, you know, if you just try to find what is that risk that you want to take to make your life better, like that's really what money is for is, is using it as a tool. Otherwise, it's just this mythical made up construct, right? So Use it as a tool to increase your happiness. It's kind of my philosophy. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. In our fast-paced world, things change constantly, and errors in messaging often have significant consequences. With Text Expander, you can save time by converting any text you type into a keyboard shortcut called a snippet. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling, and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. Text Expander can also be used in any platform, any app, and anywhere you type. So take back your time and increase your productivity. But that's not all it does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. I can type out full instructions for my podcast editor, hi Joel, in just a few keystrokes. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is PPT. This will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it into plain text. No more fighting formatting if I'm copying from Word or anyplace else. Last month, I saved over two hours in typing alone. That doesn't even take into the account the time I saved by not having to search for the right link, text, address, or number. You have no idea how many times I want to type out a link to a blog post or an affiliate link and I can't remember it and then I have to go searching for it. That generally takes minutes, but since I have a text expander snippet, it takes seconds. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. I've been using it a lot more on my iPhone lately because I've been working from my iPhone more uh, because there are days when I'm just not in front of my computer right now. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or simple automation in general, now's the time. Listeners can get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know that I sent you. Thanks so much to Text Expander for sponsoring the show. And now let's get back to it. I feel like right now, as we record this in 2021, we're in a a golden age of being able to do that, right? Health insurance is maybe not where it is in other countries for a, a bevy of reasons that we don't need to talk about because this is not a politics show. But uh, everybody can work remotely now. We have a lot more freedom. You know, my my dad, um, my dad, first of all, extremely supportive of me going out on my own. He didn't think it was the right thing to do but he still like gave me the first seed money to start my business. Uh, the only seed money, really. Um, so my dad's the only, the only outside investor in my business. And, um, but he came from a world where you get a job, you stay at that company for 30 years or 40 years, you build up your pension, and you retire at 65. 
No one's doing that anymore, right? People are staying at jobs for two to three years at most because they want that higher salary. They want different challenges. They maybe are trying to get more freedom. And and now, now feels like the best time to take a, a calculated risk to improve your quality of life. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think that if you think about America, the American system, right, there's there's going to be flaws and, and benefits to any system, no right. matter where you live in, in the world, right? If you look at Europe, they have a lot, I think, sometimes on average, maybe higher happiness levels than we do. However, if you look at Gallup polls, about only, I think, eight or 9% of British people are satisfied and engaged at work. Similar numbers for Germany, France, et cetera. The U.S. is only about 33%. But if you consider that about a third of American workers are engaged at work and only one-tenth of European workers are engaged at work, that's a lot of time to spend being miserable, right? Mm-hmm. And so healthcare, student loans, right? The thing about these systems is they're extremely complex and arcane. Like the American system is is made in a way that makes it difficult for, you know, one massive sweeping change, you know, of, of big legislation or so. It's very hard. Yeah. Whereas maybe, you know, and that and that does have negative consequences sometimes, right? But one of the benefits, since you can't really change it that well as an individual, is saying, well, if I do know the rules and the loopholes and the and the and the systems, then I can get health care for my family that's affordable. A lot of people can't because they don't understand the system and that's messed up, right? And yeah. you can kind of sit and just say how terrible it is, or you can just say it is what it is. I'm gonna try to live my best life for myself and my family. Same things with student loans. You can get them on an income-based plan, get them on the right plan, file your taxes the right way to minimize your payment, refinance it, and get a cash bonus. That's a big part of what we do. On our site, if, if you're trying to get a lower interest rate, you can do all these things. And then you can go out and take these risks. And the thing about, you know, uh, you know, if you're, say, you're a German citizen, it's very difficult to maybe not work at all or do your own thing. or It's harder, right? So they have a lot better safety net but because they take you know higher taxes to pay for that safety net, you have less of a, a potential to get to a minimum amount mm, of savings yeah. to then go out and try to do your own thing and take a risk and start your own business, right? And so that's not saying that their system is any worse or better. It's just it is what it is. And so use the system that you have the best way that you can. So you know if you're in yeah. Germany, maybe you're enjoying the safety net a little bit more. Maybe you're doing things a little differently. Uh, I don't know. But I just think, you know, you can't change, like I, I had, actually, this is really like an interesting uh, thing that uh, like uh, this counselor told me once. He said, um, imagine a guy cut you off in traffic, regardless of your reaction, he still cut you off in traffic. Yeah. So you can think that guy's a jerk or you can think, oh, wow, that guy must be like really late to a meeting and he just like almost missed the exit. And he's probably really stressed. And so he said, so negative thoughts lead to negative emotions. And I think so many of us sometimes go to the negative and that leads to negative emotions, and that blocks us from doing things we want to do. I I love that. Whenever somebody cuts me off, I, I try to say, um, "Wow, I, I somebody must be having a baby in that car. I hope they get to the hospital in time." Like that's like the thing. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're right. I'm like filled with rage. I'm like, I hope this guy crashes his car. Like, you know, that's not a nice thing to think about anybody. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I just I I love that. Um, yeah, you got to pl- play by the rules of the game you're playing, right? Um, and yes, like, you know, vote and uh, and and write your representatives and things like that if you want things to change. But uh, you're right. Our government, uh, our system was designed uh, here in the United States to be very slow moving and not reactionary. And there are good and bad things to that. So, uh, but if you know the rules, um, you'll you'll be better off. And speaking of those rules, as we kind of come up on time here, I always ask for tips for the listeners. You provided a lot of great information. When it comes to student loans specifically, um, I'm going to uh, introduce this with a, uh, my own personal story, and then hopefully we can parlay that into some general tips, right? My wife is a nurse, and for years we've heard things like health, you know, nurses can get their loans completely forgiven and this and that. And um, we, I looked into it a little bit. I wasn't sure um, exactly how to do it. Her loan was, I couldn't tell if it was a federal loan, um, because it was through PNC, uh, a, a bank. Um, so we ended up like not doing that. We refied around this time last year and went from like a 8% or 6% variable 
to like a 4% fixed. Um, and, and so we are on track to pay that off this year, thanks to some of the things that we talked about earlier. Um, but what are some, if people have student loans that they think maybe can be forgiven or refied or whatever, because the other thing is like, I refinanced and I was like, am I doing this right? Is this good? How is it going to work? Since it's like PNC to PNC, do they just know? Am I going to get penalized for paying this off early? That's like the question my dad always asked, because I guess that used to be a thing. Um, so uh, what are some tips for people who want to uh, reduce their student loan burden? So it sounds like she has an FFEL loan. So this is a very unique case. Most of your readers or, or listeners are not going to be going through this. So this is a loan from before 2010. It's basically what used to be with the student loan program where the government guaranteed private bank loans to people for student loans. That's not a loan that's eligible for something like public service loan forgiveness unless you convert it to a direct loan. So she could have done that. We do analysis for, for people like that all the time. So you know, let's say that this loan... Uh, I don't know if you're public about the details of this on your, on your with your community or not. So I'll just like throw out hypothetical numbers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, say it was a loan of, let's say, $60,000. So let's say you're both making like middle class incomes. Well, if you're filing jointly for taxes, then if you're considering like, could she get student loan forgiveness? Well, the problem with that is you're going to count both of your incomes and they're going to take 10% of both of your incomes and then they're going to have her paid 10% of like your marital income, and then that loan would get paid off in full, right? And so by refinancing it, you're cutting the interest rate, and you're going to get out of debt sooner, and you're going to be out of debt like pretty quickly, and you're excited about that, of course. Now, the, the thing is, is, the thing that could have saved her a lot of money, potentially, and it really kind of depends on the individual, is she could have seen if she was eligible for income-based repayment or, or pay-as-you-earn specifically, filed taxes separately instead of jointly, and potentially gotten her payment down to about two or three hundred dollars a month. Wow. This is just totally guessing based off of like what nurses on average earn, mm -hmm. what the average nursing student loan debt that we see is. But say she's able to get her payments down to two or three hundred dollars a month. So instead of putting that money into the loans, you could go put that money into her 403B and lower her income even more and pay even less on those student loans. So maybe then she could knock that payment down to like hundred to two hundred a month. And so if you, you know, kind of say 10 years worth of payments, what does that look like? Well, that might be twenty dollars or $30,000 over 10 years. So then the question is, does she have a lot more than that in debt? If she does, then maybe she could get all that forgiven tax-free. And maybe going for forgiveness would be a way better plan than going for full repayment. Now, alternatively, maybe she is a nurse that works on the West Coast and makes a lot of money. So then maybe she won't actually have anything left to be forgiven. In which case, all she's going to do by keeping those loans in the federal system is just pay the government too much in interest. And so then she could get a lower interest rate so people refinance their mortgage, right? So you could refinance your student loans. It sounds like you guys just sort of went through PNC or went through like the similar lender that, mm -hmm. that you know you were working with. You can shop a lot more places than that. That's a big part of what our site does. So right now, for example, a five-year rate is as low as maybe 2.6%. So if, you know, so if you're going to be done within a year, maybe it doesn't matter too much, but you could cut her rate almost one and a half percent. And then the other thing that our site does is anybody in the world that advertises student loan refinancing makes a lot of money on it. And they, there are websites that do this, social media influencers, podcasts, et cetera. And so one of the business models of student loan planner is on our site, we actually give rebate cash bonuses, essentially for people that refinance by taking a lot of what we get paid and rebating it back to our people that are refinancing. Wow. So, you know, it depends on the amount you refinance, but our, our uh, bonuses or maximum bonuses are, are $1,000 or more with all of the major lenders that refinance. So, and, and you know, the, the smaller loans, you can generally get like a, at least a couple hundred dollars usually. So, you know, so in other words, you can get couple hundred dollars, which a lot of people would do just to open a new bank account, right? Right. Plus, plus get a lower interest rate on interest that you're paying already. So you can get, for most people that have five figures, you can get hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in savings if you need to refinance. That number is even more if you have six figures. And then for forgiveness, you can get tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in savings if you were using the wrong kind of forgiveness program or you were filing your taxes the wrong way or you were going for the wrong kind of like program. Um, and so the, there's extremely complicated rules, right? And so it's kind of like, well, you can figure those rules out 
or you can just sort of hire someone and that's kind of kind of hard to like know who to trust and know who to decide to hire but that's kind of you know people can type in studio loan planner reviews and see our reviews right you know and uh and, and decide for themselves but like that's that's our business model essentially is if people feel like they have a really complicated case of student loan problems or anxiety then they can just hire us for a few hundred dollars and we'll show them exactly the right way to pay it all back and if they already know that they need to get out of debt like in your case it's obvious that you guys need to get out of debt so you could just go to studentloanplanner.com uh and then look at the refinance you know link uh that we have on the site and then just apply it with a couple places to get a lower interest rate and it doesn't cost you anything. In fact, you get paid to do it. Uh, and with mortgages, there's like all these fees and like yeah. friction to refinance, right? Student loan refi is like the easiest thing in the world. It, you can do it within like 15 minutes and there's no prepayment penalties. And there's no origination fees or nothing. This episode is brought to you by the Event Calendar, the original calendar for WordPress. This free plugin helps you with calendaring, ticketing, and more powerful tools to help you manage your events from start to finish. Whether you run school events, concerts at a venue, or fundraisers for nonprofits, the Event Calendar gives you the tools you need to make it your own. And with the Events Calendar Pro, you can create custom views, recurring events, add your own custom fields to events, and much more. Run virtual events? No problem. With the virtual events add-on, you can quickly and easily manage your online-only or hybrid events. With deep Zoom integration, custom virtual event coding for search engine optimization, and the ability to embed video feeds directly on your website, the events calendar makes putting virtual and hybrid events together easier. And I can't stress this one enough. Let me tell you, I have tried to roll my own webinar software, my own live stream event software, and it is difficult. And I have 20 years experience making websites. The events calendar is the tool that you need to make virtual events a lot easier. You can even sell tickets and only show the stream to ticket holders. If you run events, whether in person or online, you need the events calendar. Head on over to howibuilt.it slash events to learn more. That's howibuilt.it slash events to start running your events more efficiently today. Thanks so much to the events calendar for supporting the show. And now let's get back to it. That is, I think, what I was suspect of, is that it seemed a lot easier. We got a good interest rate. We got a good monthly payment. Um, you know, based on, I had a long conversation with my father-in-law who handled all of that, right, when my my wife was in high school or whatever. And um, and I was, I was like, suspect of it because I was like, this seems too easy. Like, I'm, I'm basically converting the money PNC is making to less money that PNC is making. But, I mean... I, they probably made a bunch of money off of the interest that my wife was paying in the first couple of years of graduation anyway. Well, it's more than that. Like PNC would rather make 4% than lose your loan to somebody that will do 2.5. Right, right. right yeah. And so like, so in their model, they're like, well, they already know that you're going to refinance this away. So if they like preemptively offer you that opportunity, yeah, then maybe yeah. you'll just keep it with them and pay them the interest instead of somebody else. Right. And so that, and so that's why a lot of these, that's what a lot of these places do. So yeah. that's why it's kind of like, you know, like if you are in your credit union and they tell you to refinance your mortgage, you might get a good rate and that's fine. Right. And like, but their, their rate might not probably be as good as if you actually like, shops it around yourself because the reason they're telling you is because they're assuming that you might do that. Right. And then they want to do it preemptively to like capture your business. And and, and then that's fine. Um, so I think that, yeah, like I think that if you have private loans, you could generally on average save thousands of dollars right now by refinancing them again. And so, and, and get those cash bonuses that I was talking about um, on studentloanplanner.com. So, uh, but not, but not everybody should, obviously, because people are paying zero on their student loans right now until September for federal loans. So that, I mean, that yeah. might be something too to talk about. It's just like what's going to happen with all that stuff begins again. Yeah, that's a good point. And I should say that we refied right right before the pandemic started, right? So um, I think it was like February of last year where I was just like, let's get all of our story. We have another kid on the way. Let's get all of our stuff in order. Um, and so my last question on this before we get to the trade secret um, is. Um, you know, we've been, again, uh, 
this is like not like the Joe Casabona consultation hour, but I feel like maybe a lot of people might be in this position uh, or want to be in this position where um, that student loan is basically the only debt we have, right? We've paid off our cars. I mean, our mortgage, of course, but we paid off our cars. Our credit card bill gets paid weekly. Um, and we've been really aggressive about paying down the student loan. We've been paying two to three times more than our monthly payment. Um, I I have to assume, but I've never really done the math, that that positively impacts the amount of interest we pay. It does. Yeah. I guess I would just say, like, do you have other uses for the money? Like, so if you think about, like, financial independence, what they tell you is take whatever you spend and multiply it by 25, and that's kind of your walkaway number, mm-hmm. right? Like, so if you spend 100000 a year, 25 times that is $2.5 million. You know, if you spend 40000 a year, then that's a million dollars. And so a big part of that spending is your student loan payment, right? So if you can eliminate your student loan payment, say your student loan payment is $500 a month, that's $6,000 a year. Uh, and so that's like, I think, one hundred uh, that you would have to come up with uh, you know, to have, uh, to, 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 to need an assets to like support that monthly payment to like have financial independence. Does that make sense? So in other words, like it's really good to pay off your student loan if you need to, because it eliminates one of those fixed monthly payments, which gives your family so much flexibility and relief financially for the future. And then you never have to worry about it again. I mean, student loan debt is like no joke. Like we, we do a survey for mental health and we've, like we actually haven't even released these numbers yet, but like we find that uh, one in 11 borrowers with high debt contemplates suicide over oh their God. student loan debt. It's really, really high. Like the, and, you know, a couple of years ago, it was one in 15. And so I think the pandemic has like, you know, exacerbated people's mental health challenges that already exist. Um, and so, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that like you're doing the right thing, paying down your debt. The only thing I would say is like at this point, why not sign up for like a five-year variable rate with doing another refinancing with like one of those companies I mentioned? Because you'd probably get a one point something if you did a variable rate. Like you'd probably get like a one point nine, mm-hmm. and then your monthly payment, since you pay down so much of it, would probably be less than your required monthly payment is right now. So you could get a a lower required monthly payment, and then what you could do is just keep doing what you're doing. You could keep paying more than you owe still be done like slightly ahead of schedule, probably like two weeks or so sooner, you know, that you'd be out of debt. And then if we have like an economic crash or we have like bad inflation when the pandemic is like fully over, then you might say, actually, you know what? Dude, like 1.9% looks really good right now. Like yeah. I'd rather take I'd rather take my money and put it in some of these growth stocks that are crashing. Yeah. You know? So that's the only thing I'd say is like, you know, if you wanted to kind of get a little more flexible, get a little more flexibility. Like you, you might refinance it another time. Yeah. That's a, that's really good advice. Really interesting. Uh, Lots of stuff for me and, and I'm sure the listeners to think about as we wrap up here uh, before we get into build something more, if you are not a member uh, of the build something club, uh, you can go sign up over at buildsomething.club. You get access to the extra conversation that Travis and I are going to have, as well as lots of other bonuses and, and extra content in every episode. So again, that's over at buildsomething.club. But before we get into that, I do need to ask you my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? About my company specifically, or just about what people can do in business in general? Uh, what I think what people can do about business in general, I say trade secret, but it really means uh, good advice that enough people don't follow. I would say just, like I said, get specialized in something that you really enjoy. It's, it's very difficult to find the intersection of something that's very specific, that's not generically broad, that you also really love following. So find that thing and be the man or woman that is the go-to person for that. And, and I think that would really, like that's going to be the rocket fuel that your business needs to be successful, right? And, uh, and even better if it like takes a while to get competent in it, like all the skill sets and stuff, because that's just like an increased barrier to block, that blocks other people from getting into it, you know? Um, you know, a, a lot of times you get frustrated with like having to have licenses or regulation to overcome or like all these business challenges, but like if you can succeed and break through that, then like, again, you're just protecting your business even more. So I, I, I guess like they say, the riches are in the niches. That's extremely true. Cause I had a personal finance blog for a year and a half that was generic. 
And I never got more than like 5,000 views a month or something like that. And even though I promoted the heck out of it, it just like didn't go anywhere. And it wasn't because I think the articles were bad. It was just because it was generic. There's a lot of generic personal finance content out there. And, you know, the people that get the most attention are the people that yell the loudest, I think. And that's just not my personality uh, as much, I think. And so I got really specific, only focused on student loans for like high debt individuals. And that's what I needed to have success in business. So the same thing's true for the listener. Whatever you're doing, narrow it down more, brand yourself more as that person that fixes like this very specific problem. And then like, you'll have to turn people away. I love that. And it's, it's absolutely true. People want to feel like you're talking directly to them. And the more you niche down, the more personal you can get about uh, their problems, right? Do you have debt or do you have student loan debt? I, I, I really love that. Um, Travis, this has been an absolute blast. Uh, I'm a giant finance nerd. I love doing my own accounting. I do have an accountant. If you're a business owner, you should have an accountant. Um, but uh, I, I love looking through the numbers and learning about financial stuff and investing. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? I, I would go to studentloanplanner.com. I would. Uh, I think that's the best place. Like You can also just type in the search icon on the site, Travis Hornsby, and you'll see some of those personal stories about like my wife and I getting started, paying down her student loans, the challenges that we went through, how we lost six figures paying back her wow. student loans because we messed up loan forgiveness and didn't realize wow. like how to optimize for that. Like that's why I, one of the reasons I got into it, I was like, this shouldn't happen to anybody else. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's, that's where I would go is just uh, check out the site. And also I should say the, the student loan planner podcast. Yeah. Obviously if, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you like podcasts. So if you like podcasts about financial independence for people that have lots of student loan debt, that's probably the best place is to go to the student loan planner podcast. Awesome. I will link to that and everything we talked about over in the show notes at howibuilt.it slash 222. We'll have links to the studentloanplanner.com, Student Loan Planner, the Build Something Club, and all that great stuff. Travis, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. And thanks so much to our sponsors. They are the Events Calendar, Restrict Content Pro, and Text Expander. I really appreciate their support. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, Get out there and build something.